Please turn also to the Old Testament, to Ecclesiastes. The text for this morning is Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 16 to 22. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 16 to 22. This also is the reading of God's holy word. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness, and in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? Will we go to our God and ask for the Lord's blessings on the reading and also the preaching of his holy word? Our Lord God, we thank you, Father. For your word indeed is truth. And Father, we pray that we might acknowledge that you have appointed your son, that he is the one who will judge both the living and the dead. For he is Lord both of the living and the dead. And Father, you have appointed a day in which all will have to answer to him for their deeds, whether good or bad. And Father, we pray that you might remind us, even as we undergo the sufferings, the injustices, and the pains of this life, Father, that we might look to you as our comfort, that we might believe in your promises, that you might transform us in our thinking, in our desires, in our attitudes. Father, we pray that we would trust your word, that you have told us what will come after us, And how much there is to life after death here in eternity. And Father, we pray that we would believe your promises, that we would invest in eternity and not so much here in this earth. Father, we pray that if any are here who do not know you, we pray that the gospel would go forth with power. That you would transform the hearts of sinners. That you would raise us up anew in Jesus Christ. And we pray, Father, that Christ would be exalted that your servant will be humbled. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Injustices are simply everywhere. I ask you, have you experienced some grave injustice in your life? I'm going to ask, having experienced it, how did it change you? You think about all the evil that goes on 
It's not as if God doesn't care. It's not as if God will not judge and will not bring every one of those to an account. He will. But when you think about how injustice affects us, perhaps there was some harm done to us, physical harm. Or perhaps it's a harm done to our our name, our reputation. You think about the various responses we can have. There can be responses of anger or of hatred. There can be responses of, of revenge. And then there's the question of what does justice look like? How do things get made right? Perhaps during those times, hatred had consumed you in your heart. And oftentimes, it's going through those injustices that you and I start to understand God's justice. And that God's justice is far greater than us. And the, the two options is either you, you see God's greatness, you see His justice, you see His power manifested. Or you're going to become just like a beast. You're going to say, there's power in this world. I lacked power before and injustices were done against me. And when I get power, I will pay back. And I will, I will make it painful for those who made it painful for me. And what goes around comes around. This is the very, very mentality of a beast, of an animal. But it's only by the power of God's Holy Spirit working in your life. As you go through injustices that you can say, I know what it's like to be the person on the bottom. And I'm going to live differently because I can empathize with those on the bottom. And how I choose to live my life, uh, how I rule, how I make decisions will keep those things in mind. It's a transforming matter to experience injustice. Even as we consider this book of Ecclesiastes, the author, uh, the author Kohelet, goes through this. And he talks about the big questions. He addresses the big questions of life. What are we doing here? What is the purpose of life? Is there meaning in pleasure? Is there meaning in satisfaction in work? That God is one who controls all things. That this is what he comes to in a... In Ecclesiastes chapter 3, he talked about work earlier and how God has ordained these things and, and we're to find satisfaction in our work. But then he addresses this matter, oh, wait a minute, uh, maybe we should cover this detail because it's not just a minor detail. Is God is in control of all things. He makes all things beautiful in their time. And he controls uh, the beginning or the end from the beginning and all things happen according to his will. Nothing can be taken from it, nothing added to it. That's his perfection. That all things have been made beautiful in their time. And then the question must come up. Well, wait a minute. All things beautiful in their time. What about the work of injustice? What about injustice? How, how do you answer that regarding God's perfect plan? That's basically where we are right now. In Ecclesiastes chapter 3. So the truth that we see here. While men observe injustices. And perish like beasts. 
God's word reveals that Jesus will judge all and save his elect. While men observe injustices and perish like beasts, God's word reveals that Jesus will judge all and save his elect. We'll look at this in four points. The first, the problem of injustice under the sun. The second, the solution of God under heaven. Third, the earthly rationalization of injustice. And fourth, the special revelation necessary. So the first point, the problem of injustice under the sun. Verse 16. Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. So here was the context that the author stated earlier that God is the one who has made everything beautiful in its time. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11. He also said, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it, nor anything taken from it. So everything that happens occurs by God's sovereign will. Then how do you answer for injustices? Perhaps some of you are asking, what injustices? I shouldn't have to go into detail about this. There are injustices all over the place. We don't have to look far. Just think think back in history. We don't need to think back far. We're in the 21st century. For some of you young people, you don't remember the 20th century. You weren't in the 20th century. And when you look at history, so let's let's take a step a little further back. You look at Christianity, and things change. In the Christian church, we're talking liberal Christianity, come World War I, and then World War II. So before that time, World War I, that liberal Christianity, they followed this view called post-millennialism. That they, they thought that Jesus will come after the millennial reign, and that things will get progressively better. That They followed this line of thinking about human progress. That human progress in terms of education, in terms of uh, intellect, and in terms of health and and economy and all these things. That they followed the humanistic view that there is progress uh, from from man's perspective. And then World War I hit, and then World War II hit, and then the liberal Christianity just threw out that post-millennialism because they realized, shoot, things aren't getting better. You think about how many people uh, suffered and died during the time of World War II in Europe, in Asia, and all over the world. How many people were massacred by their own governments? Then you think about the present. Think about the present. Think about all the injustices, the human trafficking that goes on. You realize that the Twin Cities, 3.5 million people, that, that any geographic, any metro has issues with human trafficking. And and the Twin Cities is one of the major metros where human trafficking is a problem. Did you know that the average age of someone who is trafficked is 13, 13 years old? And the abuse that goes on in all of that, these are the injustices of life. And then there's the wickedness in all the wrong places. So here in verse 16, he's actually getting at something. He says, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. And in the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. 
When you think about justice, and we, we think about the judgment seat, that the place of judges, the place of human courts, that we would like to think that justice exists here on earth. So there's injustices that occur everywhere, on the streets, but then you have human courts where they have the statue of the woman with the blindfold on holding the balance, and that justice is supposed to be blind. And you think about how bad it is in other countries. Our country, admittedly, is far, far better. But we must also understand that we live in an imperfect world, that justice is referring to courts, it is referring to judges, and the very place we expect to find justice, there's corruption. That judges make bad decisions. They receive bribes. I'm not naming any names. I'm just saying in, in, in general that the, the injustices spread even to the places that we as humans would expect to find justice. So even in the place of justice, there's wickedness. <clears throat> and in the place of righteousness. So when we think about man being created in the image of God, <clears throat> this is how they're separated from beasts. Beasts are not created in the image of God. Men are created in the image of God. Doesn't matter the skeletal structure. Doesn't matter the similarity of, well, we have a liver, they have a liver. We have lungs, they have lungs. Doesn't matter. Man is set apart from all the animals, primates, because we're created in the image of God and they're not. And you ask, well, how are we created in the image of God? Well, it's not that God has a body. We're not creating the physical image of God. God, God is a spirit. He has no body. We're created like God in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. And these correspond to, to the way Jesus, the characteristics or the roles of Jesus as prophet, priest, and king. So as a, as a prophet, there is knowledge. The prophet proclaims knowledge, the will of God for our salvation. Then there's the priest who acts in holiness. And then the king who reigns in righteousness. So we come here, when it says, in the place of righteousness, it's referring to kings. That kings, even there, is wickedness. You look at some other places where they have dictators, tyrants, or you have kings, monarchs, with absolute rule. Now granted, there is only one who has absolute rule, and that is God. But over there, we describe absolute rule as they don't need a law. They don't need a reason to take your life. They can take your life because they just didn't like the cologne that you're wearing. Or they didn't like the, the choice of color in your shoes or whatever it is. And that there, you think about this power, power corrupting in the place of righteousness, in places, the kingdoms of rulers that you find wickedness. And this is saddening. And I ask you, people of God, even as you hear, even as you witness these acts of wickedness and injustice that goes on in this world, does it bring you to grief? Does it bring you to sadness to hear about them? The important thing that you and I must realize is as Christians that injustice grieves God. That sin grieves God. And if it grieves God, it should also grieve you and grieve me. 
that our hope is that God will make everything beautiful in its time. From our perspective, it's not yet done. From God's perspective, it's as good as done. His plan is happening, and His plan cannot be changed. So that the things that are broken, uh, the, the injustices that have been committed, that He already has a plan of righting those wrongs. How much it is that when others who have suffered under injustice... God, at times, has allowed us also to suffer injustices so that we might empathize with them and that we might tell them about our hope in Christ, the perfect ruler who rules in righteousness, who reigns with perfect justice. That is our hope. Yes, human courts ought to make decisions according to God's word so that justice would prevail. But our ultimate hope is in Jesus Christ that when he returns, he will he will right every wrong. So that's the first point, the problem of injustices under the sun. We have the second point, the solution of God under heaven. In verses 17 and 18, <clears throat> I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. <clears throat> Here, we're reminded, the author is telling us about the final solution. There in verse 17, I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. See, this is part of God's grand plan. He's, he's going to make everything beautiful in its time. He has made everything beautiful in its time. And there, for there is a time for every matter and for every work. Every deed will be judged. Every, every word that's, that's said will be judged. And here we think about our Lord Jesus Christ and the great white throne of judgment. From Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. <clears throat> then I saw a great white throne... And him who was seated on it, from his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Here we have a description about Christ on his throne. That the books were opened. There was the book of life. And then there was the book of accounts of what happened, who did what. There in verse 12, and the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. Meaning these books are probably going to be very big, very thick. The pages are going to have to be very thin. The words, very small. But all of the words, all of the deeds are there. And here 
The second death is that lake of fire. Perhaps you're wondering, how do we get in that book of life? Well, the book of life is already written. The name's already there. The question is, what is being, what is having your name in the book of life resemble? What it resembles this. The evidence of it is that you are trusting in Jesus Christ. You're trusting the one who sits on that great white throne. You're trusting in the righteousness of another, he who sits on that throne. Ultimately, the, the deeds, good or bad, are all going to be judged. And unlike what the world says, unlike what other religions say, it's not that your good outweighs your bad and you'll get into heaven. It's, are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Because if there's any one sin that you have, however small, that excludes you from heaven, because that means you lack righteousness. The only way that one enters the the kingdom of God, the only way that one enters heaven, and that you avoid this second death, the lake of fire, is that Jesus' life and his death cover your sins. And that you and I believe the promises of the gospel. That all who believe upon Jesus Christ will receive the forgiveness of sins. That this is the final solution. Perhaps some people ask you the question, How can you believe in a God when there is so much injustice and wickedness that exists in the world? And here, perhaps not trying to be sarcastic... Let's not do that. But we ask the question. So you don't believe that there's a God that exists. Okay. Are you still dealing with the injustices and the wickedness of life? You still are. It doesn't change it for you. Here instead we ought to say, how can you not believe in a wise, true, living God? Who is just and he will right every wrong. Meaning that the injustices that we face in life, the injustices that we witness, that those are proofs that there is a God because there must be someone who rights those wrongs. That even, even those who work with uh, battered women, remember my press professor was telling me about how he was on this plane, <clears throat> stuck on a plane, good place to witness. The best you can do is ask to have your seat moved, right? But this lady was talking to my professor who is now in heaven. He's, he's dead. And uh, she asked him, hey, you're not one of those crazy Christians who believes in hell, are you? And he had already ascertained that she was a woman who, who worked for an organization uh, that cared for battered women. And he said, it's not crazy. And I do believe in hell. Well, I don't believe that garbage. And he asked her the question, where were all the wife beaters go then? And then she stopped. She thought, wait a minute. You're right, there has to be a hell. Those men who beat women ought to be there. And it made some some sense to her. There is a God who rights every wrong. There's also a temporary solution. So we have the final solution. Christ in his white throne of judgment. We have a temporary solution. A fallible solution. And that is human courts, human justice. We have, on earth, there's God's providence. So, 
Other religions talk about karma. What goes around comes around. We don't believe in karma. We believe in God's providence. That if a human court misses someone, <clears throat> there's not enough evidence. The witnesses aren't willing to testify and there's failures. There's God's providence. The very description of that is that the, the traps, the snares that the wicked set for the righteous, God says someday they will fall into their own traps, their own snares. But there's also human courts. When you think about the book of Romans, Romans chapter 12, <clears throat> the end of chapter 12, God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. There's no, there's no coincidence that after Romans 12 is Romans 13. But perhaps, perhaps you're looking at me saying, are you, are you insane? No, I'm not. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, is in Romans 12. In Romans 13, God talks about how he has put governing authorities in their place. So that God's justice, uh, he often carries out through human means. Romans 13, 3 and 4. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Here, the Apostle Paul is describing that these rulers, and keep in mind that the Apostle Paul oftentimes was in prison, in chains, because of these particular rulers that God put in place. But he's still saying that they're there, and they don't bear the sword in vain. When you think about the U.S. and their relations with other countries, that in some lands, perhaps they've put rulers in place, hoping that they could establish some type of uh, stability. And then these rulers become tyrants, and it seems like the United States tries to take them out. Well, for these wicked men who are ruling, though, though they might punish the righteous, that they're also punishing the wicked. They're still punishing the wicked, though they punish the righteous too. And so here, we're told that God has placed these rulers in office such that the righteous would, would be rewarded and the wicked would be punished. And that's, that's what our prayer should be in every land. But we realize that human courts are fallible. Human rulers can be corrupted. Now, also in verse 18, we have a description about the purpose of such injustices. I said in my heart, with regard to the children of man, that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. When you think about these injustices, God is testing man so that, the, that we may see that we are but beasts. And you think about how this happens. You realize you're a beast in one of two places, either here on earth or right before that great white throne of judgment. That the wicked person who dies, who has ever realized that he's but a beast, he will realize that when he stands before Jesus Christ. But better yet, that you might realize it here in this life. <clears throat> that you might realize my heart, my thoughts, my actions. I'd be just like a beast if I were to do those things. Think about this injustice that we talked about. 
The experience of injustice changes people. For the evil, wicked men respond wickedly to the wickedness shown to them. Wicked men respond wickedly to the wickedness shown to them. And the response is, when I get power, I'm going to stick it to you. Just wait till I get ahead. I will crush you. I will kill you. I will kill, I will kill your children, your great-grandchildren, and I will kill your, your accountant, your barber, your, your lawyer. I'm going, to, I'm going to kill all of you. You think about the mafia. <clears throat> Isn't this what happens right? When, when there's a new mafia boss that comes in? <clears throat> it takes everyone out. That's the meaning about being like beasts. There's no knowledge of kindness, compassion, forgiveness. There's only power. And here, you think about the world. <clears throat> the world thinks in this way. The world desires power. You as Christians realize that you have power, not your own power. You have God's power. We can cry out to Him. He hears us. He answers us. We realize that we don't have power. We're often on the, the weak side. We're, we're often on the mistreated side. But that's okay. God has made promises to us about the martyrs. The question, when will you right all these wrongs? There will come a time when the Lord will carry out justice for his people. And that's, that's what becoming a beast is. Responding wickedly to the wickedness that is shown to us. But then there's also the good, the refining part. <clears throat> the good. When you think about examples, let's think of a few. <clears throat> it, was, it was the son of Jesse. It was David who was anointed by Samuel to be king of Israel. But it wasn't like Samuel showed up anointed David, and then suddenly he started to rule. Was it? There was a long period. And there was difficulty in David's life. There were injustices committed against him. But that was important. Because in order for David to reign as king, he had to know what it was like to experience injustice. So also in the life of Joseph. Think about Joseph. <clears throat> he was a favorite son of Jacob. He got that fancy coat. We don't know exactly what kind of coat it was, but all his brothers hated him. They despised him. And you think about what God was doing with the injustices that Joseph faced. He was mistreated by his brothers, sold into slavery. <clears throat> he stood for righteousness. He resisted the sexual advances of Potiphar's wife. And then he was thrown into prison and forgotten. God was doing something. God was preparing a man for righteous rule. You think about what God was calling him to, prime minister of Egypt. But the importance of justice, <clears throat> the importance of understanding justice, importance of having a heart prepared to serve God, you think about what Joseph did to his brothers. You know, what Joseph's brothers did to him first. 
and how he could have stuck it to his brothers really badly because he was priming. He could have taken their lives with no one to answer to but God. But he didn't. God changed him. And then you think about what justice, injustice does to us. <clears throat> Perhaps at times you've stewed in that, in that area. Having experienced injustice, you've stewed in the anger. You've stewed in the hatred. You've stewed in the heart full of revenge. You've planned out what you would do. And then you realized, wait a minute. You're asking God to call down fire and brimstone on your neighbor. But God, the way God works, he, uh, he doesn't have necessarily this little, little small explosion. You call down God's justice. It's like calling down the, uh, the divine nuclear bomb, right? You know, you're, you, if you've got something against your neighbor, you're going to be consumed along with him. Because justice goes both ways. Justice for him, justice for you. And, and so here, stewing, <clears throat> you come to realize, well, wait a minute, what does justice look like? God is justice. We're told that he loves justice, and he will not forsake his saints. They are preserved forever, but the children of the wicked will be cut off. But then you ask yourself, if you're asking God to show justice to your enemies, what has God commanded you? He's commanded you to love your enemies. So instead of being consumed by hatred, by anger, by the revenge that you want to see, you're transformed by the power of your spirit. That instead of saying, I'm going to put an end to my enemy by his death, by the work of the Holy Spirit, he realizes there's something far better. I'm going to put an end to my enemy by his new life, by his friendship. I will destroy my enemy because... God will use me and use whatever means to make him my friend. It's only the Holy Spirit that does that. Instead of praying God's judgment and condemnation of them, changes our hearts so that we might pray grace and kindness and mercy to our enemies. That is how God tests us. And may it be that he tests us and that he refines us, that he refines you. So that you might not be a beast, but instead that you might be one who is a witness of Jesus Christ. So this is the second point, the solution of God under heaven. We have the third point, <clears throat> the earthly rationalization of injustice. <clears throat> and that's in verses 19 and 20. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath, and man has no advantage over the beasts, for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. <clears throat> so here, the observation. <clears throat> and I hope you can see that in the, this book of Ecclesiastes, there's often this contrast between what he sees under the sun and what actually is according to God. So... He observes things in this world by the eyes of flesh. And he's saying, this is what I see. But then there's special revelation that we need. What God has revealed in his word, what actually is. And those things aren't seen. <clears throat> so here, he talks in verse 19. 
what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beast is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. So we witness this. Beasts die, and then they get absorbed, they turn into dust, and so with men. Men die, they turn to dust. It's Genesis 3.19. By the sweat of your face you shall eat your bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. For you are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is a reminder. We're all going to return to dust. And part of the, the earthly rationalization is that this is all there is to life. There's no answering. There's no accounting for right and wrong. This is the way that a beast is. That a beast doesn't think about having to answer for, his, for what he's done. You think about for one beast to eat another beast. There's no, there's no sin involved. There, there's no moral decision of the animal eating another animal. But for men, there is, a, there is an answer we must have. There's also the matter of breath. You think even in the account of the flood in Genesis, <clears throat> Genesis 7, I'm uh, sorry, Genesis 7, 8, that uh, God talked about how he would wipe out everything that has the breath of life, except for Noah and his family. And <clears throat> then we have the reminder here, <clears throat> all go to one place, all are from the dust, and to dust all return. But man is not just flesh. There's also soul in man. Animals have no souls. <clears throat> men have souls. And we talked about earlier that men are created in the image of God. Men are separated from animals. They're distinct. You might say, well, look at some of these bees, how big they are. They don't compare in value to man, even though they're much heavier than us. They can produce a lot more meat than us. Because man is created in God's image. That we're created in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. That God never said that he created animals in his image. But in Genesis 1, verse 28, he said that, let us make man in our own image. We resemble God. We're set apart from the animals. We must never, we must never condescend to the level to think like animals. That even though animals and humans return to the dust, that there is a difference between man and animals. There will be an accounting for us of the things that we have done, whether good or bad. And that's the fourth point. The special revelation necessary, verses 21 and 22. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth? So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work. For that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him? So, for the conclusion for humans without the work of the Spirit, is that there's nothing better than a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Here, the author is saying, Well, you may as well enjoy your work, enjoy your time here, because you're going to go to the grave, you return to dust. But special revelation is required for us to see otherwise. And it's raised in these two rhetorical questions. The first one, who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes
goes down into the earth. Psalm 49, verse 15. But God will redeem my soul from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. When you think about that last sermon that Stephen preached in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 7, standing before the Sanhedrin, before uh, the Jewish leaders, so basically the rulers of the, the, the church of Israel or the nation of Israel, he was preaching to them about the sins of their fathers. And afterwards, they were so angry, they were gnashing their teeth. They were, these were old men who were supposed to be honorable men, seasoned men, and they were gnashing their teeth. They dragged him out, and then they began stoning him. And as Stephen's life was, was leaving, departing from this earth, he said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. The spirit of man go upward. We're told that in the scriptures. The animals go down. The other rhetorical question, who can bring him to see what will be after him? It is God in his word who tells us that there is life after death. Life exists after death. And eternity exists after this earthly life. Jesus said in John 14, verses 2 through 4, In my Father's house are many rooms. If, I, if it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Here, Jesus is one who brings us to see what will be after us. Because he, that's where he came from. And that's where he will be bringing us. He will be bringing us to our Father's house, in whom it, where there are many rooms. And he has gone ahead to prepare a place for us. That there's many things about heaven that we don't know and we don't understand. But we trust him who has prepared a place for us. There's a reminder in scripture that Jesus was raised from the dead. And that was proof that one day God will judge the earth. That he will judge all men. That every deed will be accounted for. And are you one who is saying, no, I'm good enough? You know, there's a lot of people who are a lot worse than me. Do you think you're going to get away? Do you think you're going to be judged on a curve? Or is there only one standard, the standard of the judge, who is Jesus Christ? There's only one perfect standard, the perfect standard of righteousness. Every sinner who's committed only one sin, there are no such people, but they will all be condemned. The only way that you enter heaven is through Jesus Christ, who is Lord. He freely offers his life for you and says, embrace the promises of the gospel. Trust in Jesus Christ. Trust in his righteousness. Trust in his perfect sacrifice that washes away your sin. Believe upon him and you will receive eternal life. That there's no greater promise than this. That you can have eternal life in him. That he is the one that we're awaiting for. He is the one who will right every wrong. He is the one in whom we're trusting. He is the one in whom we're saying, if it weren't for him, I would be condemned. 
just like all the other sinners. But in Jesus Christ, we find our true happiness, our true joy, true forgiveness, and eternal life. May we go to our God together in prayer.